Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Everyday Wellness Podcast with your host, Chrissy Regan. Join me as I catch up with Jeanette Murray-Wakelin and share her journey from cancer survivor to Guinness World Record holder. Jeanette shares her story of becoming raw vegan and overcoming cancer naturally. Hey, everybody. I'm Chrissy Regan, and I'm joined today by the wonderful and amazing Jeanette Murray-Wakelin. Hi, Jeanette. How are you? Hi, lovely to be with you this morning. Thank you. And you look beautiful in purple, I have to say. It's a good colour for you. (laughs) Thank you. So I just tell people a bit about how we met. So we had the um, pleasure of meeting each other um, in August last year at Youngerborough, which is in the Atherton Tablelands in Queensland. And we attended a book fair and I was promoting my book, Broken to Unbreakable, and you were promoting your two books and your DVD. So um, I'm going to just show this. So this is your two books, Raw Can Cure Cancer and Running Out of Time. And your DVD is Raw, the documentary. And that's your lovely husband, Alan, who I also met. Um, but do you want to just give a little bit of an introduction about yourself and, um, and how these books came about? And then I've got lots of wonderful questions for you. Oh, sure. Um, Well, yes, I guess the first book that I wrote, which is Raw Can Cure Cancer, that's this one. Um, That's based on my journey with cancer. So I was diagnosed um, back in 2001 with uh, terminal cancer. So I was basically given six months to live at the time and um, recommended that I have the usual um, treatment with chemotherapy and radiation. So with that, it didn't make sense to me because, you know, if, if it was terminal anyway, why would you compromise it further? And I d- just didn't make sense. So I decided to go down a more natural route and, um, and six months later, I was completely clear of cancer. So then um, we opened up a wellness center at that time just to share the experience and knowledge that we gained from that journey and how um, the decisions that I made and choices, lifestyle choices that I made um, because of the diagnosis made the difference in um, obviously my life, but also our lifestyle and um, making us more well and physically fit than we ever were before. And that was making choices, dietary choices and lifestyle choices with exercise and, and pretty much every choice that, um, that we make is a conscious lifestyle choice. So we can go into that a little bit further later on. But um, from that, we had we set up a, um, a wellness center and the, uh, we had many, many people. We did a, um, a lifestyle program for people to come on and make some of those changes and get the information that you don't otherwise get, especially when you get a diagnosis, um, you don't really get other any other options than what they have to offer. And um, so if it's a, a terminal diagnosis, then, you know, that, that's, I kind of wanted a refund on that one. So <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, we were sharing that information and uh, for quite a long time, and this was while we were living in Canada and our family lived, uh, half of our family lived here in Australia. And so we were coming back and forth each year to visit uh, our family here. And when our um, grandchildren 
started to uh, appear. <laughs> um, we decided to move out here and that had been um, about 10 years or so of since my diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And so we did. And um, in coming out here, we wanted to reach a lot of a lot more people with with what um, you know what had happened through the diagnosis and 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 the years afterwards um, and becoming much more fit and and uh, healthy. So we decided to do something that would be really um, really different and would really make people um, aware and a lot of a lot more people than just the people that we had through our wellness center which we had about 200 or so people through there that made huge changes but we just sort of felt like we weren't reaching out far enough so from good old Australia we went international with uh, something that had never been done before and that was we decided to run around the country so all the way around Australia including Tasmania mm -hmm. is approximately 16,000 kilometers and to do, to run that far it was going to take a long time but we figured out that if we ran a marathon distance every day which is approximately 42 kilometers every day in that straight line all the way around we would do it in a year mm -hmm. so in we actually ran a marathon distance um, every day consecutively for a year and a day so 366 and that um is obviously a world record and it's pretty much unbeatable I think because for one thing we were in our 60s when we did it yep. and uh, we did it all on raw vegan food um, fueled with fruits and vegetables basically so um, also wearing barefoot shoes so running sho uh, running shoes that are just have the toes in them mm -hmm. and they have no support or anything so assimilating barefoot running and just to show by example what's possible when you make those conscious lifestyle choices mm -hmm. and so it was uh, approximately 12 years after my terminal diagnosis mm -hmm. um, you know we ran around Australia mm -hmm. and since then um, because it, be it was took a year to do during that time we got a lot of media worldwide as well as um, you know the Australian media covered us all the way around as well mm -hmm. And so we were approached after we'd finished by a, um, a film production company in out of Sydney mm -hmm. and they wanted to make a film. Mm -hmm. And so for the following four years, we made this film. So basically went out on location, did a rerun of the whole thing, pretty much. <laughs> it was actually harder to make the film than to do the run, to be honest. I imagine, yeah. But yeah, anyway, so we made the film and the film was released in uh, 2017. Mm -hmm. It um, toured Australia with the uh, Australian Transitions Film Festival and then went to uh, the American um, Documentary Film Festival in California. But before that, before we'd made the full full length film, we made a short version of it and that was accepted for screening at the Cannes Film Festival in France, which is very prestigious. That's the red carpet thing. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's had very good accolades and, and rave reviews. And since then, we have screened it worldwide. So we've gone to many countries uh, worldwide and screened it. And we're now in the process of um, putting it into the hands of international distributors for the film. 
uh, it is available on DVD, which I'll show you that here. There it is there, or the documentary um, through our website. But And we also have seven uh, major language subtitles there as well available. So hopefully um, that will be in the distributors, international distributors' hands um, by next year. We've been put off by one year of last year. But um, other than that, yeah, everything's going going really well with um with with all of that so firstly i have to say so yeah well firstly <laughs> i have good. to say congratulations you've overcome cancer you've set a world record you've written two books and made a documentary uh since you turned 60 <laughs> well you'd got your how old were you when you got your diagnosis you're in your 50s yes 50 yeah. what were you uh 51 uh 51. 52 52 and then when you did your marathons around Australia you were 60 what 61 64 64 and how old are you now 71 coming up 72 oh my gosh okay so I feel a bit exhausted but <laughs> uh, very good. I love chatting with you and I have the privilege of you um, collaborating with me at my first two women's wellness retreats in October last year and mm. March this year and we had the privilege of seeing your raw documentary which is awesome and I'm going to pick up a few points from that throughout our questions today. But, you know, when I was preparing for this interview, I mentioned just something to someone in passing the other day about you being a raw vegan and um, running 366 marathons in 366 days. And the comment was um, um, offhanded and um, not rude by any stretch, but she said, oh, that's a bit extreme, isn't it? <laughs> so do, do you get that reaction a lot? Like that's really extreme to go raw vegan and to run all these marathons seems an extreme way to kind of, um, you know, either get publicity or to change your life. We do get that a lot, actually. Um, generally from people who haven't really uh, thought it through. So um, eating fruits and vegetables is definitely not as extreme as basically, you know, killing animals to eat them or, um, you know, or, and even with the raw side of it, we, we don't cook our food because we want to get all the nutrients from the food, food that nature gives us mm -hmm. in its perfect balance. And that way we're giving that to our immune system and um, basically that keeps us very well. And um, yeah, I mean, we haven't, I haven't seen a doctor since. No. I don't have any any sickness or anything like that. Um, and you still and then, run marathons. Do you suffer yes. from any joint pain in your 70s? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I have no uh, no problems with that at all. I've been in, actually been in training for the Paris International Marathon since the beginning, well, since um, 2019 in November. Mm -hmm. And it was going to be held in 2020 in April. And, of course, um, that was... Um, cancelled mm -hmm. so I'm still in training because we're still waiting to get out of the country to be able to go to Europe um, and so yes I'm still in training I'm, I'm running um, probably 50k a week sometimes a little more mm -hmm. and we're also in training for hiking because since the marathon um, you know the run around Australia we've been doing a lot of hiking so we, um, we've been going over to Europe pretty much every year and hiking the Pilgrim Trails. Um, people may have heard of it. It's called the Caminos. Um, they through, through all the Western European countries and end up in Spain. 
and um, but, you know they go for thousands of kilometers and so far on those trails we've done over 6,000 kilometers and that's walking with your backpack and you know um, just like walking about 30k a day I guess a lot of it's um, quite challenging up in the hills and so on so we're doing so I'm incorporating the walking with the pack and hiking into my training week as well so on the weekends, we go and do like a 20 or 30K hike, usually up the mountains around here. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, two or three times during the week, we do about a five to 10K hike as well each day. So yeah, pretty, you know, doing a lot. And we also swim because our property is on a river. Mm-hmm. we swim every day in the river it's getting quite cold right now yeah I know actually I'm imagining it's nice and fresh up there it um, certainly is that that's really awesome and you know part of the interview today was talking about how changing your diet raw food living aging and overcoming cancer naturally but what I'm hearing from you is that you're not ramping down you're still ramping up and Absolutely. yeah and I find it really interesting because you know I'm 45 um I have two small children, a three-year-old and a six-year-old, and I don't want to see my life tapering off when they're finishing high school when I'm a 60-year-old woman. I want to be doing backpacking through Europe. I want to be doing all the stuff that you're talking about. So and one of the things that I most remember, which sticks in my mind all the time from the DVD, was when a guy was commenting, you injured yourself during the run of the marathon, you fell over and broke your ribs, I think it was, right? And he talked about how your body repaired itself so quickly just through your diet and continuing that daily movement, your body repaired itself quite quickly, which I found like really insightful because I thought, okay, well, when I'm not well or when I injure myself, the worst thing I can do is sit down and take pills. (laughs) The best thing I can do is continue to move and to ingest as many fruits and vegetables as I can. So I've adopted that philosophy in my mindset. So, you know, I injured my back, um, a girl smashed into me in her car recently so I increased my intake of fruit and veg and gentle movement I was sick in bed with a flu the other week and having spent three days sitting in bed I had a pain in my hip now I could have thought oh well a pain in my hip I can't go running but what I've continued to do is to stretch and to run and to eat fruits and vegetables and now a few days later the pain in my hip is completely gone so Mm -hmm. you know what our mindset generally tells us is that when we have these injuries or these illnesses we need to slow down but Mm -hmm. in fact the reality is if we increase our activity increase our nutrients increase things we will recover so much quicker has that been an ongoing thing for you since that time yeah Yeah, pretty much um yes well this this is what i mean to a certain extent obviously if you've broken a leg or or something then you you know you do need to give it that time for the healing process to to be initiated and to continue but basically uh, the body and the immune system has its has its system for healing i mean if we do nothing at all when we say cut a finger um it heals all by itself without us telling it how or taking any pills or anything like that i actually did i cut my finger the other day Yes. And cut, virtually cut the top right off. Ouch. Um, except it was hanging on by just a tiny Ouch. little bit. Oh. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd forgotten that Alan had uh, sharpened the knives and I just, you know, anyway. So all I did was just hold it like that, hold it down, the flap. 
And um, I did that for about probably 10 minutes. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of blood and everything, but um, it sealed back on. And this has only been about three days now and it's completely sealed. Mm-hmm. And that will be, I can still feel it, you know, jangles a little bit when you touch it, but that will completely heal over. And so without doing anything, the body is capable and that's its job to heal and rejuvenate and, you know, bring you back to optimal health. Mm-hmm. So it's the same for anything. Mm-hmm. And when, yes, when I, I fell a few times on the, on the run for various reasons and yeah, yeah I did do the major one was, I guess, when I broke my ribs, yeah. um, and it was extremely painful, yes. And what I did was just um, bind it so that when I was still running, um, it wasn't so bad um, by, by running. If I hadn't been doing the run around Australia at the time, which meant I had to run every day, mm-hmm. um, I probably would have slowed down to maybe just walking mm-hmm. until it got to a point where it was um, you know, a bit more bearable because I don't take any... Um, any medication at all, including painkillers, because I'd rather feel the pain to get the message that it's time to stop doing what's causing me the pain or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, or slow it down. So basically, instead of um, instead of it taking us about five hours to do the run during that time when I was in a healing process, it was taking more like eight hours because we just slowed everything down. So very slow, which, um, yeah, which was interesting in itself but it it was very very quick to re- heal itself and um, you know just increased lots of uh, citrus to get lots of vitamin c to help with the immune system and mm-hmm. it was fine and and we continue to do that if we you know get an injury of some sort not usually from running but um yeah it's the falling over is the problem well not the falling over but the stopping at the end that's the problem yes <laughs> so we try not to do that too often no, when you were a relatively healthy woman, though, when you got your breast cancer diagnosis, I understand. So what was the impact of that on you and, and your mindset at the time? You must have been thinking, well, what else can I do? What have, what shouldn't I have done? What could I have done differently? Did that process go through your mind? Oh, absolutely. I, I kind of felt like, um, wait a minute, I, you know, I have a really healthy diet. I have a healthy lifestyle. Um, why me? And I think no matter who you are, when you get a basically a terminal diagnosis, you always, I'm, I'm sure everybody goes, well, why me? Um, but I, uh, you know, I was environmentally um, compromised. So, you know, when you start to look back, well, the most important thing when you get a diagnosis of any sort is to look for the cause. And if you can eliminate the cause, then you've found the cure, basically. Um, instead of treating the symptoms, you you know, you need to find out, well, what's caused this? And I started looking back over my, you know, recent life from there and did find that looking back, I had been exposed environmentally and it was just, you know, just too much compromise for the body. Mm-hmm. So, and that's, that's in the book and in, in the film and so on, um, that, you know, the more details of it. So from that, I thought, well, if, um, if that's the case, all I have to do then is give the body what it needs to, um, to, to take care of the situation. Mm-hmm. So it was like a diagnosis of cancer is a message from the body. Mm-hmm. And it was a message to say, okay, check into what's going on here and do something about it. Mm. So um, 
once I realized what the situation, how the situation had been caused, and I thought, well, the body then needs extra nutrients, extra um, healing power to reverse and, and rejuvenate. And basically that's the direction I went in. Mm. So, you know, using holistic um, therapies and, and so on. And, and also I think your mindset is probably um, the least, uh, people don't think of the fact that your mindset actually has a huge power. Mm-hmm. And um, by not accepting the diagnosis per se by thinking, well, you know, I'm not going there mm-hmm. um, and saying, um, well, I, I'm going to change things and I'm going to make make the difference here because it's up to me. Mm-hmm. And um, then doing things like um, uh, visualization, visualizing myself in 10, 20, 30, 40 years time. Mm-hmm. I had no idea this was going to end up. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to end up running around Australia, but however, exactly. uh, yeah, visualizing yourself alive, well, and and vibrant. Mm-hmm. Visualize, um, you know, a lot of my uh, visualization was you know my grandchildren being at their wedding, you know, the little tiny things at the time. Um, but you know, visualizing into the future beyond the diagnosis, mm-hmm. and then um, a lot of people also use. Um, like I did meditation, yoga, um, prayer, anything that is a positive message to yourself. Mm -hmm. And the most important thing that I tell everybody is no matter what the diagnosis or the situation is to place a highest value on yourself, Mm -hmm. that you are the most important person in your life. Mm -hmm. Even if you're a grandparent and you think the grandkids (laughs) or you're a parent, you think your kids, you think your fur babies, whatever, you are the most important person and you have to place that high value on yourself to be able to be the most important person for others. Mm. And by doing that, having that high value, you then do 100% the best you can for yourself. Mm. And that's, you know, that's where the cures come in. And I think that's possibly even more important than some of the therapies or certainly the treatments that that are offered. I'm really glad to hear you say that because I've spoken with people about that recently and you and I hadn't discussed that particular point in the times that we've talked, but um, it is, it's like saying my health is not, my health and well-being is not negotiable for anyone. Like that is my ultimate goal is to be healthy and to have positive well-being. And when I make that my focus, I have so much more to give to others. I can be there more for others. I can show up more. I can do longer. I can go faster. I can do all the things my family need me to do. But Mm -hmm. it's almost a mindset shift of accepting that, yes, I am the most important person here. Yes, I deserve to be healthy. And thanking my body and and sending it healthy messages and sending it kind, loving thoughts is a way to get, you know, the best out of my body. Mm. That's awesome. And um, so you decided not to have the medical treatment for your cancer. And I've read, you know, the first half of your book now just to say as well I usually have books with me when I'm interviewing people but a friend of mine who's in his 40s was diagnosed with testicular cancer and I packed up your books and DVDs and sent them to him so I'm left only with your brochure but I had start I was halfway through reading this one when I saw that news about him and um one of the things that he was told by his doctor was to go vegan and he didn't know where to start. 
so um, yeah, so A, I'm grateful that he was given that information by his doctor. B, I'm grateful that I had your resources at my hands that I could put in a box and post to him right away. But yes, I'm now left without your books, having not finished them. Here you go. So. <laughs> yeah. I'll send it to you. Give me new I'll send you another copy. But yes, in that particular in that particular book, um, you talked about the time when you got your diagnosis and and you had to make a decision to not have your treatment. So you know, just tell me what was your state of mind to make that decision. Well, when I was diagnosed, um, I. Well, first of all, I was thinking, you know, why me? And can't it can't be like I'm really healthy? And then, then, then I just turned around and decided it was a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that the the doctor said to me was, um, I, you know, after well, the oncologist when when they said that, you know, you've got six months to live, and this is what we're offering you in the way of treatment, etc. And the treatment that they were offering, which was chemo and radiation, would be um, you may lengthen my life for another six months but that six months of course would mean that I'd be sick from treatment so (laughs) didn't make sense but um I you know I just the the doctor said um you know it's uh one in nine at the time it was one in nine and he said women um that get breast cancer Mm -hmm. and of course men get it as well but that's kind of what he said and I thought to myself one in nine and I counted up the women in my family and there were nine. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, that's me. That's a challenge. Mm-hmm. To me, that was, okay, it's, I'm the one that's been chosen mm-hmm. here. And this is a challenge for me to make sure none of the others have to go through this. Mm-hmm. And that was my immediate thought. Um, of course, other things came into it later on. But um, that was, you know, how I felt. Okay, it's a challenge. I'm, I'm up for a challenge. I'll do anything that, that will change this diagnosis and basically um, that worked. Well, now the statistics of that are much higher, as we know, that was in 2001. One in two now, I think. One in two. Yeah. So it's like you or me. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of brings it right down to, uh, you know, okay, somebody has to do something here. Yeah. And then you decided to change your diet completely to one of raw vegan. Was that a difficult shift or did you do it gradually or was it instant? Um, it was instant and it wasn't difficult for me at all because I had been vegetarian since the age of five. Um, and that was a, a, a choice I made when I just couldn't swallow the meat. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until later on. Uh, and it was, it was my, um, my mother who said, look, so long as you eat your vegetables, that's fine, mm-hmm. which thank you, mum. <laughs> Um, but it wasn't until later when I was a little bit older that I realized what meat really was. And then, you know, then it was obviously a, a more ethical choice um, to to then not eat the animal products either. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'd been vegetarian for a long time. And um, then when I had the diagnosis, I was, I'd actually been vegan for vegan for about probably seven years at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say probably 90% because every now and then I might have some cheese. Not that I was addicted to cheese like a lot of people may have been, but I was living in France at some point and the cheese over there is um, definitely to, should say to live for, but yes. anyway, <laughs> totally different. It's raw, but it is an animal product. So um, from my ethical point of view, I felt I should 
can drop that as well and um, and did so when I was diagnosed it was very easy for me to go from vegan to raw vegan and that choice was made because if if you know like I said before if you cook the food you lose some of the nutrients mm -hmm. uh, depending on the food itself some more than others but you definitely um, lose the enzymes and the enzymes is what you need to assimilate the nutrients from the food. Mm -hmm. So the the, the enzymes are just killed with heat. Mm -hmm. So if you're eating food, like, you know, vegan food that you, you think, oh, it's vegan, it's good, um, but it's cooked, then there's a possibility that you, you, you're not actually getting enough enzymes to assimilate the nutrients from the food right. in the first place. So to me, 100% is what I wanted to give to myself, 100% nutrients from the food. So if I ate, eat them raw, if I don't cook them, I don't tamper with them, I don't process them, um, I'm getting it straight from nature, then I'm getting 100% the best deal yeah, and the best for my, for my body. So that was, that would, to me was a very easy decision and it was very easy to do um, because the more you eat um, food the way nature provides it, the quicker you become well and the, the quick you know the the more easy it becomes to to do it that way it's very hard for people to understand that until they start doing it mm -hmm. um because you kind of think like oh yeah but i love my you know what whatever it is that they really enjoy eating but and you know well i couldn't give up this or i couldn't give up that but it's not about giving up it's about increasing the nutrients mm -hmm. and when you increase the nutrients in your body and your system gets all this really good power and energy from the nutrients you you can't not become optimally healthy mm. um so yeah it, it it's actually a lot easier than people realize and we don't complicate the issue by making um you know trying to assimilate certain foods that we might have had before that were cooked um anymore we did when we first had the wellness center and we had a restaurant in there um, we would make lasagna, raw, you know, raw vegan lasagnas and um, pizzas and all those different um, foods that people are used to, just so that they could see that you can easily transition if you want to as well. Mm -hmm. But now we're we're very simple in in our eating. Um, it basically fruits and vegetables the way they come out of our garden and out of the orchard. Just, but at our last retreat, you made some raw vegan dishes for us and everyone raved about them, but they looked very much like food you would buy in a restaurant, basically. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. as if we thought, oh, well, that's just a few cut up salad pieces of salad on a plate. Like you yeah. actually went to the effort of preparing it. So it was very. Oh, yeah. it, did you yeah, drag? It doesn't take too long either. The, the good thing about not cooking is when you're preparing food, um, I mean, I'm, you know, I am a chef, so. I've, I've spent a lot of my years preparing and making food for people. Um, but you, no matter what it is, whether it's cooked, whether it's vegan, whatever, uh, whether it's raw, you have to spend the time to prepare it. Mm -hmm. And then if you're cooking it, you have to wait. Mm -hmm. Whereas if it's raw, you don't have to wait anymore. You can eat it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was the thing that um, changed. I think Alan felt like, oh, right, if I can get to the food quicker. <laughs> that was going to be my question did you have to drag your husband along with you or did he just decide yes I'm all in no he was all in 
Um, well, in the beginning, uh, with the with the treatment side of it, um, as he he does explain on the on the movie on the documentary, um, he felt like just do what the doctor tells you. He was you know like he was uh, in fear of my dying. Well, I'd already been diagnosed to say that I was going to die in six months anyway. So I said, well. Um, you know, why, why go down that road? Why not try and do something that's going to make a difference? And so once he'd sort of looked at that idea that there could be other options, then he was fine. He said, okay, let's just, let's just do this. And he, he did the same thing and, and it, um, and it helped him with his health as well. And his uh, performance level, like both of us physically, um, much, um, we have a much higher performance now than what we did when we were in our twenties or thirties. That was one so thing I remembered good. from his comment from the DVD was that he noticed, you know, six months his health improved, six months he stepped it up again, six months he stepped it up again. Exactly. And, and for a man in his 60s to be able to say that, like every six months, I feel healthier, I feel I can do more. It was really inspiring. And I've, yeah. I have taken that on board in my own life in this past year, because I do notice like, I feel healthier all the time. And I know that I can continue to feel healthier. Now, I haven't gone raw vegan and I flirt with veganism probably five out of seven days a week. You know, more of my meals are vegan than not. But equally, I'm still, um, yeah, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still flirting. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm right, not yeah. yet. But I know that I probably could be. I just need to make that decision to be all yeah. in. But exactly. one of the things that's like you said, when you had your wellness center, you had to show people they could do it by making foods that look similar to what they eat. Well, that's what I'm doing with my family at the moment, particularly my young girls. You know, I'm trying to get their intake of fruits and veg higher and higher all the time. I'm right. trying to give them foods that they recognize, which are not what they think they are. So, you know, I'm being quite <laughs> clever and I'm getting more and more tricky all the time. I'm, you'd be yeah. so proud of me. Um, but it is interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, some people you have to drag along kicking and screaming. Some people mm -hmm. screw their nose up. And I know in Australia, um, a lot of people look at those that are choosing to be vegan as if you're some kind of terrorist. Do you ever get, get that impression? <laughs> I'm not sure if that's the word, but um, definitely alternative or even we have been called hippies before. And, and I find that's a good compliment because we definitely, um, you know, most most hippies have really pretty good thoughts and are trying to make things better than they are um, from way back in the hippie era. But I think um, a lot of people find it, uh, they think it's challenging. And they'd rather just stay in their own comfort zone and they don't want to. Another thing that happens quite often when we screen the film or, you know, we have an event where we're doing presentations, um, a lot of people resist coming to a presentation or a screening because they know that what they see is going to make them think that they're going to have to change their lifestyle. Like once you've heard something or once you've seen the evidence you can't unsee it anymore. You can't unhear it anymore. And so then it requires action. So like knowledge is, is great to have, but it, it niggles away in, even in your subconscious and it requires action for it to actually become um, relevant to your life. So a lot of people resist right from the beginning so that they don't have to go through that process at all. They'd rather just stay in their comfort zone, even if it means they're not well, even if it means they 
you know, can't do things that they would like to do because they're not physically fit enough, they still prefer to have to, you know, to stay there than to make those changes. And it's just a matter of that they're not, they're not in the right zone yet, put it that way. They're not ready to take on what they, what they know is going to be a big change, but it's because they don't place that high enough value on themselves and their own health. Mm. And the health, basically, it, it, it goes out to the health of the planet. Like everything is, is all connected and making those conscious lifestyle choices just is going to make the difference, especially in this day and age when we have such unpredictable things going on worldwide. This is when we need to start making those conscious lifestyle choices to make the difference because we have the choice to change things. Mm. And I think... Um, like we were talking to someone the other day, they actually watched our film and they said, oh, it's such a lifestyle change. I don't think I could do it, but you can. It's that simple. Like at the time that you, you know, if you got a diagnosis today that told you you've only got six months to live, what are you going to do first? Mm-hmm. You know, are you going to start counting the months? Mm-hmm. Are you going to go and see all your friends quickly? Are you going to go through your bucket list and do all those things before you die? Or are you going to make a change Mm -hmm. to make the difference? Mm -hmm. And that's what we have to do worldwide worldwide to, um, to change everything into a better world. And it's not just a personal um, choice. It's a choice that we need. We we're responsible for, for the whole, um, the whole world, for all, all beings and for the planet itself environmentally the sad thing is most of us wait until we get a terminal diagnosis to try and change things that's typical of humans humans tend to wait for it to they're in a state of crisis to actually start making decisions be them good or bad Mm -hmm. positive or negative they wait for a state of crisis whatever that might be Mm -hmm. you know and sometimes it could be just something as as plain as well I'm not ever going to do that again that didn't that didn't make me feel very good whatever that was Mm -hmm. but to yes get a diagnosis that says you're going to die Mm -hmm. you know in so many months then the next sentence should be what are you going to do about it Mm -hmm. because really we have to take responsibility for our own health and in doing that we take responsibility for our family's health for our uh, for the animal's health for the planet's health Mm -hmm. I mean we only have one planet Mm -hmm. we only have one home there's no, you know, you can't trade it in. And it's the same with our bodies. We can't trade it in. It's not like a car. Mm. We've, so, this is what we've got to carry our soul around in. And we need to take care of it so that, you know, we can live a, a full and healthful um, and purposeful life. Mm. So I'm generally the one sending helpful videos to someone that I know that is not well. And the responses that I get back is usually stop sending me this shit. Um, <laughs> don't, don't talk to me about this rubbish and all these things. And I know that this information could be life changing for this person, but they're not ready to hear it or to see it or to accept it. So, you know, right. it, is it should I, I just should sit back and leave them to continue down the path that they're on, which is one of self-destruction or should I try harder? What should I do? <laughs> I think you just have to continue with what you believe is um, what, you know, helping, helping others. I mean, we're all here for that reason, whether we realize it or not, this, you know, this time around, it's a, certainly this, in this um, generation, we definitely need to help each other. 
and um, and I think in whatever way you can, that it it goes into the subconscious anyway. It has to go into the subconscious for them to turn around and say, "Don't do this," because they've already got it in there. So somewhere along the line, it may make a difference for them. Mm-hmm. And if they tell you to stop, I don't want to see any more of that. Then that's fine. Just let it go. But it's there. It's ticking away in the back and one day they'll come back and when they're ready, they'll come back and say, you know how you were telling me this, that, the other, the other thing? Well, tell me more. Mm. And if they don't, at least you tried. Yeah. And I, I feel like, you know, never, never stop pushing. It was, it's just, you know, to me, you never, never stop trying to help others. It's like being a mother, as you know, you never stop trying to be there for them and um and i think extending that out to those that you love and those you don't even know mm-hmm. um, and that's what the film and the books are all about and the books that you write mm-hmm. you know that that's going out to people that you wouldn't even you don't even know and people but it's making a difference in their lives and and i think that's what we're all here for and that's our purpose mm. yeah, so, yeah i feel as well, <laughs> I, I i'm not giving up i'm pretty stubborn but equally, I decided that I, I can only role model to me what good looks like. So if I'm not role modeling to myself what health and well-being looks like, then I can't either preach or have permission to tell others what they should be doing. So on any given day, I have to make the best choices for me and for my family. Exactly. And hopefully by osmosis, that will filter out to others. Yep. And it's not yeah. to say that we don't enjoy fast food or junk food or ice cream from time to time, but I know I do it mindfully. So, you know, I know that I'm mindful of the impact of having these foods in my house or in my life, um, but on, on the rest of the time I can undo the, the good choices, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, well, it's like I said, the more you do, you, you know, make those conscious choices, especially with diet, um, the more the body thanks you. Mm-hmm. So your health will improve, even if you, a lot of people, you know, that go on our health programs or come to our retreats, they they say, um, oh, well, you know, I, I was good for about a week and then I, I fell off the wagon and I had, you know, I had a vegan cupcake or something. Um, and and it doesn't matter. You don't have to beat up on yourself because, you know, that's just natural to just feel like, oh, I'm just going to have this, I'm just going to have that. You don't, ha- there's no such thing as, as be- being policed in this. It's doing the best you can for yourself at the time, all the time. Yeah. And if the best for yourself right then, because you might have been feeling, you know, sad about something else, you might want some comfort food and you have it and you feel, oh, that's what I needed. Or you, you're probably more likely to feel like, I wish I hadn't done that. But <laughs> the body tells you yeah. anyway. And it's okay. You know, um, it's just being mindful, as you say, and being aware that some of the foods and some of the actions that we take are negative, 100% negative. And you, that's the result. You may not even get become symptomatic from it, but it's created a negative effect on you, whether it's in your um, physical body or in your mental, emotional or spiritual body, it has a negative effect. So you just have to be mindful and aware of that. Um, and then, you know, increase the amount of positive effect from everything else that you do and every other choice that you make. That's really interesting because earlier you talked about the environmental impacts that you felt 
played into the root cause of your cancer. And I don't know if you saw it last week, Trita, I've got that compound interest chart that I show of all the varying effects that we have in our life that can cause our yes. internal state to become dysfunctional. You know, environmental stress, toxins in the home, emotional toxins, you know, trauma, food, diet, exercise, lifestyle. It's all of those things have a compound impact on our body and on Absolutely. our state of well-being. And that's where we start to go, okay, well, if I can dial back this a bit, if I can dial back that, if I can improve this, if I can ramp up that one, but tweak that one back, you actually give your body a better chance of being optimally healthy. But so many of us discount that whole spectrum of, 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 yeah. of, of cause and effect. You know, where do you sit now in, in, in that? Because I know where you live and I know the lifestyle that you have, which is you're basically an organic farmer living in a remote house that you've built yourself in a beautiful location. But obviously um, you've done that because you're aware of, of that full spectrum. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, everything is connected. Everything, everything we do, see, think, act, it, it's all connected. And um, the, if we can do the best, we absolutely can. I mean, a lot of people say, well, you know, I just have so much emotional stress from, from my work. Then perhaps it's, a, it's time to start looking at what it is you do for work. Mm -hmm. If it's, you know, creating that much um, stressful situations in your life, then perhaps you need to change that. Oh, but I couldn't possibly change my job. I've been in it for 30 years. And how long have you felt this way? Mm. <laughs> Probably 30 years. So it's about, once again, it brings it back to what is, you know, bringing in priorities. What, are you the priority? Is your health the priority? Is your environment, like environmentally, we can be so compromised. I mean, everybody knows that living in the country is better than living in, in the city mm. environmentally for your health. So if you can't move from the city, at least go out into the country, go out into the mountains, go out to where there's fresh air to breathe and less pollution and you can actually do something active, you know, run on the beach, whatever. Mm -hmm. Bring those things into your life more and more so that, um, so that you have a higher percentage and a higher priority on all the things that are healthful in your life. And that's what we have chosen to do over the years. We've moved from, you know, various different places for different reasons. But, you know, at the moment now we're in a place where not only is the food that we eat um, abundant from where we live, we grow our own, a lot of our own food, and then we eat locally what we don't grow ourselves. And um, the environment we're living, you know, in, in the highest um, village in Queensland at the moment so we're right up we've got good altitude we've got good clean fresh air we've got a mountain between mountain range between us and the ocean um, and the coastline which is where a lot of the pollution comes from because there's a lot of you know cropping and things that are say aerial sprayed so just thinking of all those different things we're not we don't have um, overhead wires um, and just looking at all the things that might have a negative effect on our lifestyle, we try to eliminate that in our in where we live and how we live. Mm. So um, we try not to, you know, drive too much. We prefer to walk or even cycle if that was an option. So it's just looking at all those different ways of doing things, um, and it's amazing how 
um, how easy it actually is to make those changes and how much better it is for for everybody. Mm. So not that we want everyone to move out of the city and out into the country because then we'd have a city in the country, but it's more about looking at if you are in the cities, um, looking at how you can uh, make your own environment um, a more healthy place to be. Yeah, that's really interesting. Last uh, 18 months ago, I did a bit of an audit and I watched a documentary called What the Stink. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but oh, yes. it shows you all the various poisons that we have in household talk and household uh -huh. things. So, you know, I went a bit crazy with getting rid of stuff and buying new things and researching brands and reading labels and changing my choices of detergent and what I put in the kids bath and so on and so forth because before that I was one of the persons that would buy the cheap bubble bath but I know now that the cheap bubble bath is the stuff that's got poisons and toxins and stuff in it so you know I spend a lot more money now on my detergents and the things that I put in my home and my skin because I don't want my girls to have fertility issues to have cancer issues to have endocrine disrupting disorders when they're older you know all of these illnesses that I've since discovered can be caused by this compound interest effect you know how many, how many journeys we take in our car how many cars do we own as a family what do we do with them you know all of this kind of mental audit I've gone through um, you know and I'm very very glad I did because I learned a lot on that process but I also learned you know how I could um, I don't go to the doctor anymore myself so I'm saving so much money on what I was having on medical treatment but I'm actually putting it into our day-to-day -day living costs which is a better investment in my opinion <laughs> absolutely yeah I mean if you if you can't invest in your health then there's no point in investing anything else because without your health yes you, not, you, any, you know you can't do right. anything can you so yeah, well, this kind of leads me on to my second last question, which is you set this world record for running 366 marathons in 366 days, and you did that in your 60s. Why is it, do you think, that society tells us we need to wind down as opposed to ramp it up when we retire? Well, I think it's because um, the majority of people are in a, uh, you know, not in a state of optimal health. And so it's considered to be normal that when you get older um, or in your later years that you slow down. And so, um, you know, we're even told to slow down because, you know, you've been you've been walking around for 60 years. You you you're probably going to have need to have a knee or replacement or hip replacement if you don't slow down now mm -hmm. and it's actually completely the opposite mm -hmm. um, and I think we've you know we've shown that in that if you keep exercising obviously no one needs to run a marathon a day for a year and a day that's <laughs> a little bit extreme shall yeah, we say. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> however we were doing this to show by example what is possible so the day after we finished we went for a run it's not like we just then collapsed and had to be taken away in an ambulance or something. <laughs> we actually improved our physical fitness and our physical performance. Mm -hmm. um, two years after we released our film, we were invited to Paris, France, to go and run the um, Paris International Marathon. 35 years beforehand, we ran it um, for the first time. Mm -hmm. We bettered our time. 
Wow. Yeah, I saw that I photo of you that. guys near the Arc de Triomphe. You had long brown hair looking so young. <laughs> so there you go. Um, yeah. You know, it's possible. You, you don't, you don't, it's not normal mm -hmm. for us to age in our physical, mental or emotional state and, and, and spiritual state. It's not necessary. We can change that. If you think back, even to say, look back into biblical times, mm -hmm. people were living for 200 years, 250 years. Mm -hmm. Good old Abraham, look at him, still hanging about in his 200s. Mm -hmm. Why was that? Because there were, back in those days, not only were they working physically, you know, on the land, etc., um, they were eating naturally. So there was no processed food mm -hmm. there. And there was, you know, no junk food. There was nothing like that. They didn't have TV. They didn't have emotional stress technology that has got to the point now where it's beyond a joke. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they had a simple, natural life. And there was, you know, they were able to live into their hundreds. Mm -hmm. You'll find that most of the people who are still living into their hundreds mm -hmm. are people who have a simplistic life. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, people in the south of Italy, People up in um, in Nepal, they had you know they live into their hundreds and they're still out there you know digging in the soil and doing whatever they want to do. If you start to slow down purposely because you're aging, mm -hmm. then you will. Mm -hmm. But if you need to slow down for whatever reason, mm -hmm. then it's a that's a different thing because you can like for us we've changed from running. A marathon a day mm -hmm. to um to doing hiking instead so some of the hiking we do is much more challenging than running a marathon i have to say but it's slowed down the process mm -hmm. so it's not like you need to slow down you just can keep going um so long as you're in a state of optimal health you can keep going and do whatever you want and that's the thing that i tell people is so exciting is that even in our 70s, Alan's 75 now, and even in our 70s, every day we think, what are we going to be able to do today? Because we know we're going to be able to do anything we want because mm. we're in a state of optimal health. Mm. We're in a better state of health now than we were in our 20s, 30s, 40s, and even 50s. Mm -hmm. So there's no reason for us because of our age to slow down or not you not do certain things because we can mm. so um that's yeah and that's really exciting you know we just the other day we decided well let's let's go and you know walk up the highest mountain in queensland mm -hmm. and we did mm -hmm. it was 10 and a half hours and we were up and back down and and it's you know a really high mountain and there was climbing everywhere and it was yeah. so much fun we had such a good time and the fact that we're in our 70s, had nothing to do with our ability to do that and have a yeah. good, good time. Yeah, yeah, that's lovely. There's a yeah. man in Roma, he turned 111 two weeks ago. I don't know if you saw that in the news, but no. um, he raised it. He lived on a farm. He was a, a cattle farmer, I believe, but he also grew most of his own um, vegetables and stuff. So he lived his existence off his own land. Yeah. Uh, he was very active and he writes um, stories and poetry and, and, you know, so he's always been active and he attributes this simple life and his active life to his longevity. And it's like yeah. you were just describing as well. So it's really awesome. So 
I was um, thought it was quite cool that you and I shared a run on the beach together in March and I was running with a world record holder. So, you know, I've, been, <laughs> I've got that on the notch somewhere in my CV. So um, wow. to wrap up, what would you say to people who want to start to embrace a more plant-based lives? What are some simple things that people can do? Well, um, the first thing is don't wait for the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So, you know, don't wait for anything. Start now making changes, making more conscious lifestyle choices. So it's not just the food, it's everything. So every choice, everything we do, say, think, act in life is a choice. Mm -hmm. And if you make that choice a conscious choice and think about what the result of your choice is going to be, are you going to be happy with that result? Yeah. Then that will, that will guide you in the choices that you make, yeah. whether they be positive or negative choices you will get the result. And so with eating food, knowing that nutrients, the best nutrients come the way nature intends, you're going to eat more fruits and vegetables to get more of the real, you know, the real thing and getting the nutrients that you need to be more healthy. If you have specific issues, health issues, look at the cause, what's causing them and start making changes to accordingly to change that uh, that issue and um, exercise in some form or another so long as you do some exercise because we're, we're vibrant beings so that comes from vibration we need to create vibration in the cells of our bodies for us to be a healthy vibrant person and um, so do some kind of exercise yoga um, pilates and even, you know, a lot of people do dance and um, depending on your, your physical ability at the time, walking, running, doing something active. Even if when you get up in the morning and you just bounce on the side of your bed, just bounce. At least you get, I'm sitting on a ball. Yeah. You, at least you get the, you know, your system moving. So keeping in mind that, you know, you need to keep moving. Um, and then all your choices, as you mentioned before, your environmental choices, what are you, you know, what are you using in your house that could be, have a neg negative effect on you? Uh, we don't use any products at all. We use um, uh, vinegar, lemon for cleaning, um, things like that, that, you know, are non-toxic. Try and look at all the different um, situations in your life that could be, could have a negative effect and eliminate them change them to something more natural and having a positive effect so it's about negative and positive looking for the positive in all your decisions and that comes down to your actual body makeup which is what we call ph so it's like it's like acidic or alkaline so that's like toxic um, negative or positive so if you all the things you do eat think, act, are on the positive side, that's going to create a, an alkaline effect in your body and you cannot be sick if you have an alkaline body. As soon yep. as it becomes acidic, which can be just from a thought, mm -hmm. let alone what you yes. eat, mm. then you have an, an, you know, a negative effect happening. So yeah, just try to keep everything as positive as possible just start the day with a smile, get it over and done with, really. <laughs> start, 
you know, just start making, being basically working towards happiness because that is what we are all working towards. That's what we're looking for is true happiness. And basically we get that through love of ourselves, of others, love of our lifestyle. So bring it in on the positive basis and you can't go wrong. Yeah, that's awesome because that's, that's a lot of what you've just described is around step six and step seven of my book. It's finding your yeah. innate joy. It's so step seven is jogging, but basically it's that movement aspect where if you embrace any kind of movement, you know, jumping, jiving, jogging, Django, whatever the heck it is, just to keep your body moving. Because one mindset shift I made for myself, instead of seeing exercise as a punishment for not exercising, I saw exercise as a healthy reward for being sedentary. And I told myself, my body wants to move. My body was designed to move. So when it's out moving, it's doing what it wants to do naturally. I don't need to negotiate with myself to go for a walk or to go for a jog. My body wants to do it. I just have to put the shoes on and get out there. Do you know what I mean? So I think those simple things, you know, and for me, increasing plants in my life has become much more of a focus because I know when I go to the market on a Sunday morning and I'm in that produce environment you know and I'm buying up all these things I come home and I put them down I think "Mm, how am I going to ingest all of these plants this week and then it's a conscious mental shift to say instead of like okay I've got to cook food it's like how do I ingest all of this food and you know when I make lunch boxes for the kids and I'm cutting up fruit I'm eating the fruit as I'm going so I'm finding little ways to sneak more and more plants into my day and into my life that I probably didn't have the time or um, I wasn't um, consciously doing that before because I was in that busy go 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 state of mind you know I lived in London for 16 years I was you know f- you know basically you get out of bed you get dressed you go to work you eat your lunch at your desk you come home you sit on your sofa you eat your dinner you go to bed you get up you do it again you're on that massive hamster wheel right. and I know what d- detrimental effect that had on my health over a long period of time and the biggest reason for wanting to move back to Australia was so that my kids could go to a school that had real grass. Right. You know, because in a lot of that, cities really. now they take grass out of schools and put down AstroTurf or tarmac. Mm. And I was looking around at schools thinking, well, I grew up in the country and did school and had proper grass sports fields to run around on. I want and need my children to have that same environment, which you just don't get in the big cities. And I guess that, you know, mindset shift was also fundamental to the whole, it's like you said, when you, at 51, when you got that diagnosis, you didn't expect to be where you are now, but you didn't visualize everything that's happened to you. And it's been a similar thing for me as well, you know, like all, everything that's happened for me since I made that decision to leave London and then to write a book, it's kind of been a spiraling and an unfolding thing, mm-hmm. and cascading. So it's it's really... Um, inspiring and exciting to think where things will be in five years time isn't it yeah really (laughs) thank you so much for joining me I'm going to share all the links to your work and to your books and to your dvd at the end of this interview I'm looking forward to sharing it in my online wellness schools so that people could get to know you and they can reach out to you and and follow your your next adventures oh well that's great thank you very much it's been it's been a fun uh, a fun morning chatting away (laughs) thank you it's awesome give alan my best regards and i hope to see you very very soon yes certainly 
Thank you. Thanks, Bye. Chrissy. Bye.